morning. I'm so glad you're joining us today. And uh, this past week has been a week, like Pastor Steve has been talking about, where all of us are kind of wondering what's going to happen next. And the COVID-19 virus is to blame for deaths, unfortunately, losses of jobs, loss of fellowship here at the church and elsewhere, and even loss of our church service, our normal church service. So as Pastor Steve mentioned, we really love getting together here at South Oaks. It's kind of a family kind of place each week. And uh, when we can't be together in groups of more than 10 and we can't get any closer than six feet, it really strains our ability to get encouraged, to pray together and to see your smiling faces. And uh, we hope that this helps a little bit to really feel a little more encouraged, a little more part of the fellowship that you normally have. So I encourage you to uh, join us next Sunday. We're going to try and make it even a little more of a normal church service. We're going to have praise and worship in there too. Uh, we just didn't have opportunity to get that all straight this week, but next week. So hope you can join us. All right, today we are in Kings, Second uh, Kings chapter 13. Today you're going to need to get your Bibles out. So get your Bibles out. Turn to Second Kings chapter 13. Today we're in our last message of passing it on. And I thought about how it's an interesting parallel with that name, passing it on. We're obviously not talking about passing on the virus. And uh, that's not what we want to pass on. What we want to pass on it to others is the things we have learned in our life as followers of Jesus Christ. And we want to pass on a spiritual legacy. And this account in chapter 13 of 2 Kings is at the end of Elisha's life. And we're going to read 2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 21. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elijah said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory and the arrow of victory over Aram, Elijah declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. So Lord, we just thank you for that passage of scripture. Help us to be encouraged today by what we can find out in this passage. Lord, be with everyone uh, watching right now, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would encourage their faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we find out at the beginning of this chapter, on the verse we didn't read, that this is during the time when Jehoash is... Uh, the king of Israel and Samaria, and Joash is the king of Judah. And it tells us in that part that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 
So Elisha, who is an old man at this time, it tells us in verse 14, he served as a prophet for the nation during the reign of several kings, and now he's suffering from an illness that killed him. So he's probably not doing a lot of ministry anymore. He's just staying at home, kind of like how we are now. He's probably quarantined. And the king decides, I'm going to go down and see him. So when he sees Elijah, it tells us that he weeps over him. And he calls out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And that seems like kind of an odd thing to say. I mean, when my uh, father-in-law was passing away, I did not say that to him. And most of us have never heard that phrase before except in the Word of God. It says it earlier in uh, Kings, but it, it's kind of a, a, a strange kind of thing to say. But when we really look at like what the Jewish background is of this Hebrew thought, we can get a little out of it here. My father, my father speaks of the king considering Elisha to be a father in Israel, a spiritual leader. And it speaks of this close relationship that he's thinking he has with Elisha. And then the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, it, he's saying that Elisha is symbolic of the chariots and the horsemen of the army of God, and that he is a powerful man in Israel because he's being used of God. So the king cries this out and he weeps over him, and it's showing the loss that he perceives for the nation of Israel with the soon coming death of this great man. So Elisha at this time is obviously very ill. Now, it doesn't tell us why the king came to see him in the first place, but perhaps the king needed a word from the Lord on matters of battles and enemies that required a visit to the prophet. And Elisha tells the king to go get a bow and some arrows and to take the bow in his hands. And then Elisha, it tells us, puts his hand on the king's hand. And by doing that act of putting his hands on the king's hand, it's like he's anointing those hands to shoot that arrow. And so he says, okay, open the east window. And what's the significance of the east? Just think about that. What's the significance of the east? Well, a couple of things here. The east, in a Hebrew perspective, is the origin of all things that could have come, does come, and will come, are from the east. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Next Sunday, we're talking about Palm Sunday. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem from that eastern gate during that triumphal entry. And he's, it tells us in prophecy that he will again enter that eastern gate when he returns to earth. The eastern gate is considered the gate of mercy. And according to Jewish tradition, the Shekinah glory used to appear through the eastern gate. And while we use the north as our major direction here in America, uh, the Hebrews use the east, and all other directions are oriented in this direction. So the east is their focal point. Like we say true north, they're saying true east. Well, secondly, the east was significant because it was the direction of the battle at Aphek. It was the direction of the threat from the Arameans. They came from the east to attack Israel, as it tells us uh, from time to time. So this east window was symbolic even then, and Elisha says to shoot the arrow as a prophetic act here. He calls it the Lord's arrow of victory. And it symbolizes the victory that Israel will have at Aphek over the Arameans. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek, is what he tells them. And this was what the king wanted to hear. He was hoping he would hear something like that, a promise of victory over the enemy. And then Elisha tells him, take the arrows and strike the ground. 
Well, the king really didn't seem to understand this symbolism. And he just struck the ground three times. And maybe he felt a little awkward. You know, it seemed a little strange. What's he doing with arrows striking the ground, right? He didn't really want to get into it. And maybe he really wasn't into that religious stuff and felt he needed to be a little bit more reserved, a little more professional king than that. Like, what am I doing with arrows hitting the ground? So he probably didn't even hit the ground that hard, you know? It was probably more of a tap, maybe like one, two, three, and then he stops. And he looks at Elisha. And Elisha was now very upset with him. He said, you should have done it five or six times. So not just three little taps. That means you're only going to defeat the Arameans three, three times. So maybe the king didn't have faith. You know, after all, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So maybe he didn't believe that striking the ground was going to do anything. So what about us today? What about you? Do we have faith to believe that God will defeat our foes? That he will overcome the things that attack us when we're trusting in him? In Psalm 60, verse 12, it says, We know that when God assures us of victory, we can rely on him. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. David understood that. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. In this 1 John passage, it's telling us that if we want to overcome trouble, if we want to have victory in the world, we need to be born of God. We need to be followers of Jesus Christ. We need to have made that decision to follow him and turn our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ because our faith is what helps us to overcome. Our faith is what gives us victory in troubled times. So the king was victorious, it tells us, as Elisha had said, he would win three times. And we're told later in this chapter, at the end of 2 Kings 13, it says, Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadid, son of Haziel, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoash defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. So what Elijah had, Elisha had prophesied to the king came to pass. And just like for that king, God's word will come to pass for us in our lives. So we need to today decide to have the kind of faith in our lives that's not just little three-arrow faith, believing for just a moderate amount of God's victory in our lives. Let's today have that six-arrow kind of faith to believe that what God has for us is, will come to pass, to trust him for big things, to have victory in our lives, victory over the enemy, victory over troubled times, victory over situations that are causing us uh, discernment problems, victory over situations that are causing us problems to know how to handle them, victory over situations that are putting us in quarantine in our homes. So Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What we are facing in life today, that virus, unemployment, financial problems, even relationship problems, can be turned over to God, who is our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. It tells us he is our refuge. He is our protection in times of trouble. He's a shield against the attacks of the enemy. 
He's our salvation and our stronghold. Nothing of the enemy can prosper against us because we, when we follow Jesus Christ, when we are acknowledging the lordship of God and of Jesus in our life, nothing can come against us that he does not ordain for us. And we are covered by the blood of Jesus. So the king left after talking to Elisha and went on with his life. And after that, it tells us, Elisha died and he was buried. So normally, as we're looking at an account like that in the Bible, that's kind of the end of things and we move on to who is next in that passage, right? But not this time. When we began this series on the life of Elisha in his ministry in 2 Kings 2, it tells us that when his mentor is taken away, Elisha asks for a double anointing. In 2 Kings 2.9, it says, When they had crossed the river, Elisha, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And this anointing is evident in Elisha's life and how God used him and how God did miracles through him. So in verse 20, it tells us that after Elisha had died, and this is obviously several years later, there's some Moabite bands of raiders that would attack. And it tells us they'd come and attack Israel every spring, coming into Israel and taking what they could from the people. So meanwhile, in Samaria, there's this group of friends burying a man who had just died. And they're just partway through the funeral when suddenly here comes a bunch of marauders from Moab charging towards them. And in a panic, they threw the man's body into another tomb. It just happened to be the tomb of Elisha. And when the body of the man touched the bones of Elisha, it tells us that he came back to life and stood up on his feet. Wow. Can you imagine what those friends thought? They're running away from the Moabite, and here comes Joe, who just, they threw him in the tomb, and he's running, catching up with them. Why are we running? Oh, I see. Let's get going. So I don't know which would have scared him more, the Moabites coming to attack him, or the fact that Joe is catching up with them now, and he's alive. So there was a power in the anointing that Elisha had that lasted beyond his lifetime. My question to you today is this, what are you doing today that will last beyond your time on earth? What is the anointing on your life that you are living out with God's help? When we live with that anointing that God puts on our life and we're doing his will, there's gonna be a lasting impact from us that will last for years beyond our lifetime. When we pass what we have on to others, when they learn from us about how to follow Jesus Christ, about living our lives to honor him, and how to become what God created us to be, that's the kind of thing that lasts forever. That's a spiritual legacy that goes beyond our lifetime. You might be wondering, as we've looked at this passage, well, what does that have to do with me today? Um, I'm being asked to quarantine myself except for a very few things, like buying groceries. So how does that help me now? Well, if we allow the situations that we're in to cause us to worry, to fear, or to be anxious, 
we are giving in to the enemy and to his lies. While we do not treat this time lightly, we take precautions, we are careful, but we also need to lean into our Heavenly Father and trust God to get us through. Elisha's last lesson today is that when we're under attack and when we're facing the enemy, because our enemy, the devil, likes to attack us regularly and steal from us what he can, the lesson we have today is how to live in God's victory, God's victory in troubled times. So first is to trust in God's power to give us the victory. Many times we think it's all about how much we ourselves can do. You know, like with this situation today, it's all, we think, well, what can we do? And that's what we're hearing on the news. That's what people we know are telling us about what we can do. And while we do want to be wise in how we live our lives, what we want to do to win over these situations is understand that the battle belongs to the Lord. David the king said in Psalm 27, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Isaiah 31.1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for health, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. During times like this, during troubled times, we need to cry out to the Lord for help. Ask God to intervene. While chariots and horses, the things of man, are great, the battle belongs to the Lord. And he tells us that if we look to him to seek his help above all, we will be victorious. Then it's just a matter of trust. Are you trusting God to get you through this? Job, who went through the most awful time of loss, his health, his family, his finances, said of his relationship with God in Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. See, he understood that no matter what happened in life, his primary thing he needed to do to get through was to trust in God. No matter what, we trust in God through good times and bad times, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So trusting God's power to give you the victory. And second, don't be satisfied with less than what God has for you. See, the king of Israel, he was satisfied with just tapping those arrows three times. We must be people who don't stop at less than what God has for us. So many times we can sell ourselves short, not believing God for more, for settling for less. And in God's word, he says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. More than you and I can imagine. Because when it is his will, when we align ourselves with that, the best is beyond anything you and I could ask or even think of. I want all that God has for me, don't you? Don't settle for less. Ask God to fill you with all he has for you. In Ephesians 1, and 23, it says, And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we as followers of Christ, we want to ask God to fill us with all he has for us. Allow God's power to work in us to do immeasurably more than anything that we can ask or think. So trust in God's power to give you the victory. Don't be satisfied with less than what God has for you. And third, leave a legacy of anointing for the next generation. Everything we do in life is either following Jesus Christ and advancing the cause of Christ or distracting us from it. When we pray for God to anoint us with his Holy Spirit, to fill us with his abundant power, and to lead us to do the things that he has planned for us, then there is a powerful anointing that will impact not only us, but everyone around us. We want our friends and family to remember us as people of faith, people who showed God's love to others, and people who lived not in fear, but in faith, trusting God, no matter what the circumstances. All of us at South Oaks Church should desire to be living a life that's honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ. And that will show in our behavior, how we treat others, and how we speak, and how we handle the crises that happen. Anger, anxiety, and fear, all of these rob us of what God has for us. And they steal our ability to leave that legacy of faith and the anointing of God for the next generation. If you're struggling with these emotions of fear, worry, dread, anger, it's time to take those to the cross of Jesus Christ and to put your emotions under the blood of Jesus Christ and ask him to remove the attack of the enemy from your life. Give lordship of your emotions to Jesus. That way, you can pass on something powerful to the next generation. The example of the anointing of one who is living in God's will and in his way. While we've been talking today, have you been thinking about your life? Have you recognized yourself in the example of the king of Israel, settling for less than what God has for you? What's keeping you from that? from passing on a legacy, from having that six-arrow kind of faith. If you're struggling with emotions of fear and doubt and they're robbing you of what God has for you, I'm asking you right now, even though I can't see what you're doing, raise your hand. Because even in your home, wherever you're watching this, raising your hand will help you see that you are acknowledging that you need to turn this over to Jesus Christ to break agreement with the lies of the enemy and with the fear and the doubt and whatever's coming against you, whatever is messing with your emotions, you need to take that and submit it to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Ask him to wash off of you the lies of the enemy that are poking at you and making you react in a way that isn't how God would have you react. To remove that off of you and instead resurrect in you the proper kind of emotional response to this time. If you realize that you've been living, settling for less than what God has for you, and you, have, you say, yep, three-arrow faith, that's what I've been doing, three-arrow faith, and now you sense, you know what, God has so much more for me, and I want that, then raise your hand too. 
Acknowledge that you want that six arrow kind of faith. Okay, Lord God, let's pray. Lord God, you see that we need your help to live in six arrow faith, to trust in your power, to want all that you have for us. And someday, Lord, that we would be able to live, leave a legacy to others of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Lord God, help us not to settle for less. Help us not to believe the lies of the enemy, that that's all we are, or that's all we can have, and, and to poke at us and make us react in a way that isn't the way you would have us react. Lord God, we have real emotions, and we know it's okay to respond, but Lord, help us not to be reacting to what the enemy's prodding us to do. Lord God, we submit that all to you, to the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. Help re resurrect in us the proper kind of response to this, Lord God, so we aren't reacting out of fear and doubt and worry and things that are not good emotions for us to have right now. But Lord, we are responding to your love, to your peace, to your joy. Lord God, we thank you that in the middle of all this time, we can claim the blood of Jesus over us and know that we walk following you and that the things that happen in our lives, Lord, we can trust you to get us through. Lord God, we thank you for all you're doing in us this, this time. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for the leaders to make wise, good decisions. And Father, we thank you for uh, local leadership, state leadership, national leadership. Lord God, that you would speak to them. Give them dreams and visions of what to do. Father, I pray that you would bring people to know you through this. Lord, that they would cry out to the Lord, cry out to Jesus for help. And Lord God, we just trust you and leave it all in your hands and know, Lord God, that you are our rock, our redeemer, our fortress, our stronghold, and we leave our lives in your hands. Thank you, Lord God, for this time in your word, this time of encouragement, this time, Lord God, to help us have what we need to get through this next week. And Lord, as we read your word, as we uh, stay at home and try to get things uh, done there, Lord, and live our lives and do jobs at home, perhaps, Father, I pray this be a special time set apart and studying your word as well. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.